You're listening to Pastor Greg Voorhees from Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, recorded Sunday, October 9, 2022. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, svbcfamily.com, or you can find us on all things social at svbcfamily. We invite you to come on, uh, come on, visit us. Come just as you are. We were just listening to the I speak Jesus. And there's power in that. There is power in the name of Jesus. If, if, if my very last words that I speak on this earth are Jesus, that's okay. Because it is the, the, the power of Jesus that overcomes the darkness. It is the power of Jesus that blesses our, our, our families and our church and our community. Without him, we are nothing. Without, with him, we are everything. We're going to be continuing our, 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 our series, Death of a Church. What is this all about, you may ask, if you weren't here last week. What that's about is we're talking about church killers. You, you know, we, we, it's actually going to be a little bit shorter of a sermon than what you, that you're accustomed to from me. And I'm, if any of y'all say amen to that, no, no, no. Shame on you if you want to say amen to that. But the reason being is, is last week we looked at four of the seven churches in Revelation. We look at Revelation chapter 2. Well, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 3 today, and we're going to be looking at the last three churches. And instead of going into something else after that, we'll just, we'll just finish with these seven churches. But death of a church, the, again, is very important. Shortly after this, we're going to start a series about things that make Jesus happy in the church. But, but, but right now we're kind of looking at the things that, you know, what, what, what are the things that make Jesus unhappy? And we saw in their letters, from the earlier letters, I'm not going to go through the whole thing, but, you know, forgetting who your first love is. Being busy, 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 but, but forgetting who and why you were busy for. You, you know, because you can, you can work and work and work to your fingers of the bone, but if, it, if Jesus isn't the reason you're doing it, if he's not your sole purpose of doing that, then it's in vain. Well, that's the, that's the only one I wanted to point out for here. We're going to go ahead and start this. But back in the book of Revelation, just very shortly, what is the book of Revelation? It's John, the Apostle John, which is the, the, the disciple that Jesus loved, you know, someone that was very close to Jesus. While he was at Pathmas, he, he, was, he was kind of banished there for his, you know, for, because of the name of Jesus. And he was taken away, you know, he was taken to a place, and, and, and he, was, he was instructed to write down the things that he heard and the things that he saw. Well, the things that we're focusing on last week and this week in, in two, chapters 2 and 3 is the letters, the things that Jesus had to say to the seven churches. And we're going to pick up with the church in Sardis. There we go. Verses 1 and 2, it says, I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Think about what that is. And I am by no means going to point my finger at any, any church that we know of, whether it's a big mega church or any, anyone's locally. But I do want to point, sometimes churches can have a reputation to the world of being a happening place. 
You, you know, there's different models of church that you talk about when you're going through seminary. One is the attractional model. You know, with the attractional model, and I'm not knocking it, not completely, but the attractional model of church is when you just do stuff, just cool stuff, just for the sole purpose of being cool, to kind of draw people into the church. You know, my niece, one time when she was down in Texas, she would go to church down there because it was the beer church, that they served beer when you were there. I think you're kind of crossing some lines here. You, you know, you really are. You know, I dress like this because, A, I want people to feel comfortable, and B, because I'm comfortable. So it's, it's okay to do certain things like this or play cool music. You, you know, it's something that will, will draw people. But when you're, when, when you're only doing things, not because of the name of Jesus, but just because you're trying to look alive or cool, there's something wrong. Maybe that goes back to that thing we looked at the church of Ephesus. You know, when the church of Ephesus, they were saying, you know, you, 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 know, you work, work, work. That, that's what I was talking about before, but, you, you know, you've lost your first love. We have to be purposeful in the things that we do. We have to be purposeful in, in the things that we do, to, not only to attract the people from the outside, but it has to be Christ-centered. It has to be for a reason other than just being cool or just, just, just to be the cool church. Because sometimes, and, and as you can tell, I'm, I'm a very contemporary kind of guy, but sometimes the church can go so works so hard at attracting the world, it starts looking and acting like the world. Have you seen that? I've seen that. You know, so you'll never see me knocking my, my jeans and t-shirts, and, and when it gets colder, you'll see me in hoodies. You will. My, my pastor calls me Dr. Hoodie for a reason. But things like that, it, it, it's okay. It, it's okay to, to make people feel comfortable. But, we, but the things that we do, we have to make sure that it's still Christocentric. Like I said, that's a fancy word for that Christ-centered. So if Jesus is saying here, yeah, you've got a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. I don't want to be that church. <laughs> I don't want to be the church that's just the cool church, but is spiritually dead. So we have to be careful with that. It says, wake up, strengthen what remains, and is about to die. For I have found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Wake up. Wake up. If, you're this, if this is the situation that we're running into, that we have a, a good reputation with man but not a good reputation with God, we need to wake up. And we need to fix some things. That, that's, that's something that, mind you, going back to the context of this, this is Jesus talking to the church through John. So this is important stuff. You, you know, we want to be liked by the world, but we need to make sure we aren't the world. Remember, therefore, this is still continuing with the church of Sardis. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and Repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I will come to you. Repent. Hold fast and repent. We talked about repentance in Sunday school. Actually, I didn't even I didn't realize this was going to tie together, to be honest. Repentance was the, 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 the Greek word for repentance is teshema. 
What does that mean? It, it's a turning. It's a turning. So when, when Jesus is telling the church to repent, he's not just saying, be sorry for the stuff that you've been doing. Don't be so, just sorry for missing the mark. You have to turn. There's, there's an action of turning with, with repentance. It, it's Toby Mac, and I was about this too. I love my Toby Mac. And if you weren't here for Sunday school, I got my Toby Mac tickets for February, so I'm going to see Toby Mac. I told you I, there were times I would go without bread. I did last week or two weeks ago too because I got my Toby Mac tickets. But Toby Mac, he, he often posts that, that an apology without change is a manipulation. An apology without change is just a manipulation. So if we as a church are repenting before our God for the, our shortcomings, and we're not turning from those ways or changing those ways, or at least trying to change those ways, we were trying to manipulate God, and God will not be mocked. My God will not be mocked. We might try to pull things over on him, but it doesn't work. So when Jesus says, hold fast and repent, by golly, we need to. We need to. If this is, our, if this is us, if, if we have a good reputation with, with, with man but not God, we need to wake up and change our ways. We need to wake up. Thief. I will come like a thief. What does that mean? Why would Jesus say, I'm coming like a thief? Does that mean he's going to steal something? No, it doesn't mean he's going to steal something. A thief doesn't announce when he's coming. And this reminds me of a story. We're going to look at Matthew 5, 1 through 13. It's a parable of the ten virgins. What's a parable? A parable is a story that when it's told, it, it's, it's, it's giving you kind of a one meaning, but it's teaching you about something else. So, so in the, when Jesus speaks in parables, he was teaching stories that, the, that his audience would have understood, and he kind of paralleled it with spiritual things. So the parable of the ten virgins... We're starting out, first of all, they were ten virgins. They were people who were saving themselves for the bridegroom. So, so this just wasn't just anybody. I mean, there they, they were five wise and five unwise, and we'll start reading that. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took the lamps but did not take any oil with them. So... What is he saying here? And this is, this, this is still tied in with this church. You know, he's saying he'd come like a thief. All ten of these virgins were going out to meet the, the, the bridegroom. They were, they were prepared, they'd saved themselves. They'd prepare, they were preparing themselves. But some of them were wise and some of them weren't. Some of them were doing the right stuff and some of them were, weren't completing their work. They didn't take their oil with them. Isn't that what they said with the church? Your, your work is unfinished? So what happens with these, these, these ladies? The wise ones, however, took oils and jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. The bridegroom was a long time in coming. Let's stop just there for a second. The church is, is, is referred to in Scripture as being the bride of Christ. And the bridegroom in this story, and again, he's teaching a spiritual thing here. The bridegroom was taking a good while getting there. So some were prepared and some weren't. 
You know, from the time that, if you look at the, really look at the writings of the, of, of the apostles, even Paul, Paul was convinced, that's why he was saying if you're married, stay married, if you're single, stay married, stay single, because, you know, the, the, the hour is coming. So Paul was convinced that the return of Christ was imminent. You, you know, many of the disciples believed that they were going to see the return of Messiah for the second time. You know, but sometimes the church... Have we fallen into the situation because it's, it's been almost 2,000 years and he hasn't come back yet? Have we fallen asleep? Have we? Are we like the, the foolish virgins that, that, that didn't prepare because we were thinking it wouldn't take so long? And this, again, this, is a self, this sermon series is about self-evaluation. I'm not pointing fingers at any one of us. But I want us to be like the wise virgins who are prepared. And don't get wrapped up by the fact that it's taken him an awful long time to come back. Maybe, is he really coming back? He is absolutely coming back. Jesus said that I'm going to prepare a place. And I'm coming back. If Jesus said it, I'm telling you, this is the same Jesus who was fully God, fully man, wrapped himself in flesh, came and lived a sinless life, and was crucified to save us. He's the same Jesus who did not let death in the grave hold him down. He conquered death and hell. He overcame the world. This is the same Jesus who came back and continued to preach after he was crucified and rose again. And before 500 witnesses ascended into heaven, that kind of Jesus, if he says he's coming back, I assure you, he's coming back. He is coming back. Don't let us be the church that because it seems like he's taking a long time that we can just do whatever the heck we want because maybe he's just going to take a little bit longer. Maybe we can kind of do what we want to do and do whatever we want to do because Jesus isn't coming back soon. Well, let me tell you what. I am not a henny penny. The sky is falling. But if you follow prophecy, there's a lot of stuff happening now. That's never happened any time before. I mean, the, the events surrounding Israel, it's unfolding right before our eyes. Keep an eye on Israel. Keep an eye on Jerusalem. You know, Paul tells us that, you know, the separation between Jews and Gentiles is gone. But even, if that, even though that's true, Jesus still chooses Jerusalem as being the place where he comes back. So keep an eye on Israel. Pray for Israel. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Don't fall asleep, church. Don't fall asleep. He's coming. Continuing on, at midnight, the cry, the, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish one said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. And they're like, No, they replied. There may not be enough for both of us. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. We, we don't want to be the church who, at the very last second, tries to make things right with God. The Bible tells us that today is the day of our salvation. And you know what? From the day that we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior... We need from that day forward, live like that. Like we need to live like believers. We need to not be the drowsy Christians who act like it's, it's going to be a long time before he comes back. 
Because in the twinkling of an eye, he's going to come back. And like a thief in the night. So we don't know when he's coming back. So we want to be ready. When, the, when Jesus comes back, we don't want to be asleep. We want him to find us working for his kingdom. He, we want the, Jesus to find us doing the, the work that he's called us to do. On our search and rescue mission to save the lost. Don't be a sleepy church. Don't be a sleepy church. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went up with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others said, later the others also came, Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day nor the hour. So why is it important not to be the sleepy church? Why is it important to, to do the things that we are instructed to do in Bible? To, to be holy, we talked about that last week. To be holy, because God is holy. What was that holy we talked about? To be without sin. You, you know, you're going to fall short. But we need to be trying. We need to be repenting when we fall short when we drop the ball, we need, to, we need to try our hardest to get back on track. And here's the thing, you can't do it on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in all believers. You need the, the help of the Holy Spirit. Could you imagine the, the five foolish virgins who were saving themselves for the bridegroom and because they were sleepy and weren't prepared and weren't doing the stuff they were supposed to, had the bridegroom say, truly I tell you, I don't know you. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be that church. I don't want to be that guy. <laughs> what, what I want to see, if he returns in my lifetime or if I meet him in death, for him to wrap his arms around me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's, that's what we need to strive for. That's what we need to strive for. The church in Philadelphia, just like we talked about in Smyrna, he didn't have anything bad to say about them. The church in Philadelphia... He didn't have any warnings, but he, but he praised them. He said, you've kept my commands and you've endured patiently. So fortunate for you, there's, there's a 10-minute break in the 10 minutes less of a sermon you're going to have to sit through today. He had no complaints about the church in Philadelphia. Now we're going to get deep. I think he sometimes saved the best for last. This is the, this is the grand finale of the churches. It kind of in my opinion. Verses 15 and 16, he's talking to the church in Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, that you were neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other, so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. This, this is in context. It's not incorrect to... to to view this looking through lukewarm Christianity. You know, you're not really hot, you're not really cold. You, you know, you're, 
and, and we talked about that with last week with some of the churches where you're trying to you know, walk with God and run with the devil, where you're kind of trying to live both ways or walk on the fence. You know, that's kind of, that's kind of lukewarm. But in Laodicea, they would have, this would have had special meaning for them. There were, Laodicea, and I wrote the name of this city down because I was never going to remember it. I had looked in my commentary. I remembered the story. I couldn't remember the name of the city. On one side of Laodicea, we do know about uh, Colossa, you know, from the Colossians, the letter of the Colossians. Well, Colossa, they were, they were well known for, they had this really tasty, just refreshing cold water. I mean, the water came down off the mountains and it poured into the springs and people loved the water there. I mean, it was just, apparently even today, people still go there and drink this water because it's cold and it's refreshing and everybody loves it. Well, on the other side, and here's the city I was never going to remember, and I'm probably saying it wrong, but it's uh, Heropolis. Now, this city, which was, which, which was on the other side, it was known for just the opposite. They had these, this really hot water. It was full of minerals, and, and, and it was these hot baths, and people would go there, and, and, and they, would, they would get down in this water, and they would just feel so much better. It was kind of like an Epsom salt you know, body bath kind of thing. You know, it was just, you know, people love this water. However, there, you know, when we've been digging up these, these places, we, we found that there was an aqueduct who, that went from this Heriopolis, whatever its name, over to Laodicea. You know, so they were getting water. They were getting this hot water. Well, here's the problem with the aqueduct. And when they were digging this up, they were finding a lot. It was, it was clogged up with all these minerals and stuff. As this hot water is going from one city to the other, it's getting not so hot. It's not, not so hot. But where people were going there to bathe in it, you know, the people in Laodicea were drinking it. I've got sulfur in my water. I got really bad sulfur in my water. I don't drink air water. We buy water. I don't even make my dogs drink air water. I mean, I, I, I get water in, in, in jugs because it's just nasty, nasty water. So the, the, the people in Laodicea, they would have had this nasty water to drink. It was just like lukewarm, and it had all those, those, those minerals and all that hard stuff, and it was just nasty, nasty water. So what, what's, what would, if you were in Laodicea and you were thinking about lukewarm, you were thinking about this repulsive water that they were drinking. It was just nasty stuff. Apparently, they were well known for their nasty water. So when Jesus was saying to them, I wish you were either hot or cold because, you know, you're lukewarm. So they would have thought, I get this lukewarm thing. That's nasty stuff. Lukewarm is repulsive. And what was Jesus, what was he saying? What was he going to do? I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. So they understood, they would have understood that Jesus was saying that they were repulsive to him. They weren't hot. They weren't cold. They were walking the fence. They were, they, they were doing all the stuff we were talking about last week, trying to, trying to live in both worlds probably. You can't do it. It's one or the other. One or the other. Here was another thing about Laodicea. They were rich. It was a banking center. I mean, they were a rich city. But Jesus continued by saying, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. 
but you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. We were talking about with the church before this in Sardis, how they had a, a good reputation with man, but, but not a good reputation with God. Well, it sounds like Laodicea had a little bit of a different issue. It sounds like they had a good reputation in their own minds, but not in God's. This is where we really need to make sure. Have we ever thought to ourselves or as a church, God's given us a really big building. He's given us lots of, lots of acreage out here. We must be rich. Does God feel the same way about us? Does he? He may. Like I said, this isn't, this isn't stone throwing time. This is evaluation time. Have we taken this blessing for granted? This building, these ball fields, these buildings over here at the school, I think there's a softball field on the other side. Have we taken all this? Have we thought because we have all this stuff that we're rich, but are we rich in God's eyes? Are we? And this is why I really think we need to take time and search our hearts individually and corporately. Are we rich in God's eyes? Are we where we need to be? Are we good stewards of our blessings? Are we reaching out enough? You know, one of the biggest problems I've seen in the church, and it's, it's the church corporately, I'm not talking about Shenandoah Valley Baptist Church, is we've really gotten attached to buildings. You look at Acts chapter 2, could you imagine just one day a growth like that they were having? They didn't have a building. We get so wrapped up in wealth and, and, and what we think is important in man's eyes. It's important to God. So what happens is with so many churches, they, they get in this thing where they, they almost make themselves prisoners of their own church building. I've seen churches that, that put a sign above their door when they walk out that said the church has just left the building. We need to have that attitude. This is not the church. You are the church. So when you walk out this door, don't just act nice and Christian-y here. Because if you act nice and Christian-y here, and you walk out the door and you don't act nice and Christian-y, you're not nice and Christian-y. It has to be just as real when you leave as it is when you're in here. And I'm not talking about being perfect. God knows I'm not perfect. God knows I'm not perfect. I got a strange sense of humor sometimes. Like I, said, I, was a, I was a cop and a medic for long enough. Things that aren't funny sometimes strike me as funny. You know, I'm not in the dirty jokes, but I've heard some off-the-wall jokes that sometimes that other people, I'm like, <laughs> I'm not perfect. I'm not. Everything that I stand up here and tell you from now and moving forward, understand, I am preaching not at you. I am talking about the things that we need to do together. I'm just the guy that preaches. 
I'm just a guy. The pastor is intended to be the servant of all, not the other way. I'm not something on a pedestal. When I talk about struggle, I'm talking about me struggling too, me falling short too. So this is never, these are never stones being thrown at anyone. These are things. We need to work on this together. We need to not be a sleepy church together. We need to have a, a rightful understanding of where our heart is. Are we rich in God's eyes? Because this nice building doesn't make us rich. We could have a property twice this size and still be dead and lost. So I'll tell you what, and again, I don't, I don't try to focus much on the devil, but I'll tell you what, if you're, doing, if you're a church and you're staring people down the wrong direction, you might be getting blessings and getting bigger, not because you're doing the godly thing, it's because somebody else is helping you get bigger because you're doing the ungodly thing. I don't want to be that church. Yeah. And we've talked about this. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. I need to stop here for a second. Those whom I rebuke, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. Mind you, we've now looked at seven churches. Five of them were messing up. But these aren't condemnations. These aren't, you know, I'm going to squish you. I'm going to squish you. You're messing up. Because we get that idea sometimes. We get the idea that God is sitting on his throne waiting just to squish us like bugs when we do something wrong. Look at the whole medieval time. That's what they thought. Things are really bad. God must be really mad at us. You know, he's squishing us, squishing us. God's not like that. When he points out the things in these five churches that are doing wrong, or if he lays on the heart of this church things that we're doing wrong, it's not because he wants to squish us. It's because he wants us to do the right thing. He wants us to live in, 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 in a correct way and live at the center of the will of the Father. So when he gives us these warnings, it's because he loves us. He doesn't want us to be wrong. He wants us to be in the center of the will of the Father. And let me tell you what, when we find that spot, when we find that place where we're not making the same mistakes as these five churches, or we stop making or, 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 or don't start making some of the mistakes we're going to be talking about in the next week or two, and we find ourselves in the center of the will of the Father, nobody can stop this church. Nobody. Why? Not because we're that good. It's because we depend on the Lord Jesus. With Jesus, all things are possible. All things. So if we're like blessing the socks off of our community, it's because of Him. It's not because of us. When we are in the center of the will of the Father, we are doing what the Son has instructed us to do. It's when, when we're at the center of the will of the Father, it's because we're asking the Holy Spirit, please, Holy Spirit, guide us, show us you're our counselor. You're our guide, you're our direction. Show us what the Father wants. Reveal to me the will of the Father, Holy Spirit. And He wants to do it. Let me tell you what, the Holy Spirit wants to tell you what the will of the Father is. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to your heart. We've got to listen. We've got to listen. I can assure you, I can assure you when this Bible 
was completed and this canon was closed, the Holy Spirit did not stop talking. He's still talking to you. He absolutely is. The Holy Spirit's still speaking to you. Have you ever just once, have you ever just once just felt this thing that was tugging at you and thought, well, maybe I should say this to somebody or maybe I should help somebody in this way. And then, you've, and, and then you find out later that you were a blessing in an amazing way that you never could have imagined. Well, let me tell you, that's you listening to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's still talking to your hearts. He lives in you. If you're a believer, he lives in you. Doesn't it make sense that he doesn't want to, that it, it, it shouldn't be a foreign concept that he wants to speak to you. He does speak to you through this. This is amazing. The, the Word of God is just amazing. I'm going to be preaching a sermon just on the infallibility of the Word probably in November or December. This is, an, this is a crazy awesome book. This is a crazy awesome 66 books. But the Holy Spirit still wants to talk to you. Repent. Repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person, and they with me. So when, you, when Jesus is knocking at the door of your heart, open it. When the Holy Spirit, who's on the inside with you, says, it's Jesus, open the door, listen. This is an older version of what I put on the bulletin. This picture right here, once it comes up. There he is. This is the, the older version. What is amazing about this picture? If, 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 if you've been around the Christian world for a while, you're going to know the answer to this. No doorknob. This is a depiction of the, the, whoever the artist was that painted this was brilliant. You know, Jesus doesn't want to just grab a doorknob and force his way in. He asks to be let in. Where's the doorknob on the other side? It's up to you to open. It's up to you. Jesus does not force himself on you. The Holy Spirit does not force himself on you. The Father does not force himself on you. What do they do? They've reached out to you over and over again whether you've not accepted Christ as your Savior or you have accepted Christ as your Savior, they, they keep reaching. They keep reaching. They, they, keep, they, they want to be closer and closer and closer to you, but you've got to let them in. Here's the thing. God blessed you with a free will. You have the choice to not listen to him. You do. He doesn't force himself. You have the right not to listen to God. He's given you the right not to listen to him. To him. But he's also showed you that when you don't listen, sometimes rebuke comes and discipline comes, not because he's mad at you or that he wants to punish you. It's not punishment. Discipline and punishment are two different things. Perfect, perfect example is their jail system. We punish people. They do bad things. We put, them in a, we put them in a big concrete box. We punish them. That's not discipline. Do I have a better answer? No, I don't. I, I, I don't. I'm not knocking the jail system. But it, that's what punishment is. You do something wrong, you get smacked for it. 
and you pay the price. That's not what discipline is. Discipline is sometimes uncomfortable things come into your life in order to try to curb your behavior, to try to get you to repent. Here's a big difference. Jesus says, I, I discipline those that I love. But you've got to respond. You have to respond. He's, he has, he, he's made it so easy. We have all these things in the Bible, thou shalt do this, thou shalt not do that, on and on and on. So it sounds tough, but it's not. You know what? You, you know, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were trying to trip up Jesus one time. Well, he, he kind of silenced the Sadducees, so the Pharisees brought out their, their legal expert and thought they were going to catch Jesus, and they were like, so, so teacher, what's the greatest of all the commandments? What's he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and your mind, your soul, your strength. And then he adds one. It wasn't an addition. He continued on, because it's, it's still in the Old Testament. And the second goes like this. Love your neighbor like yourself. So first, God gives us ten, just ten rules, the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20. That's all he gave us, ten rules. We added a ton to them. We added tons of rules to it. Ten rules. Jesus, Jesus he narrowed it down to two. If you love God and you love people, all of the law and all the, all the prophets are tied up into these two things, loving God and loving people. So if we do not, if, if none of these things I've talked about in the last two weeks and these five of the seven churches apply to this church, God bless us. If some of them do, we need to repent. But I can assure you one thing, above all this, we need to open the door. And we need to love God and love people. That's why we're here. To love God and to love people. And we do have a, we do have a mission, and we'll talk about that in a few weeks.